This video is part of an audiobook series featuring Principles, Life and Work, written by Ray Dalio in 2017. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel, find me on Spotify, or check out my website for downloads. Chapter 2. Cultivate Meaningful Work and Meaningful Relationships Meaningful relationships are invaluable for building and maintaining a culture of excellence because they create the trust and support that people need to push each other to do great things. If the overwhelming majority of people care about having an excellent community, they will take care of it, which will yield both better work and better relationships. Relationships have to be genuine, not forced. At the same time, the culture of the community will have a big influence on how people value relationships and how they behave with each other. To me, a meaningful relationship is one in which people care enough about each other to be there whenever someone needs support, and they enjoy each other's company so much that they can have great times together both inside and outside of work. I literally love many of the people I work with, and I respect them deeply. I have often been asked whether relationships at Bridgewater are more like those of a family or those of a team, the implication being that, in a family, there is unconditional love and a permanent relationships, while, in the team, there is an attachment only as strong as the person's contribution. Before answering the question, I want to emphasize that either is good by me, because both families and teams provide meaningful relationships, and that neither is anything like a typical job at a typical company, where the relationships are primarily utilitarian. But to answer the question directly, I wanted Bridgewater to be like a family business in which family members have to perform excellently or be cut. If I had a family business and a family member wasn't performing well, I would want to let them go because I believe that it isn't good for either the family member, because staying in a job they're not suited to stands in the way of their personal evolution, or the company, because it holds back the entire community. That is tough love. To give you an idea of how Bridgewater's culture developed and how it's different from what you'd find at most companies, I will tell you about how we handled benefits in our early days. When the company was just me and a small group of people, I didn't provide employees with health insurance. I assumed that they would buy it on their own. But I did want to help the people I shared my life with during time, their times of need. If someone I worked with got seriously sick and couldn't afford proper care, what was I going to do? Stand by and not help them? Of course I'd help them financially, to whatever extent I could. But when I did, So when I did begin providing health insurance to my employees, I felt that I was insuring myself against the money I knew I'd give them if they were injured or felt ill, as much as I was insuring them. Because I wanted to make certain that they received the best care possible, the policies I provided allowed them to go to any doctor they chose and spend whatever amount was required. On the other hand, I didn't provide them against the little things. For example, I didn't provide dental insurance any more than I provided car insurance because I felt that that was their own responsibility to protect their teeth, just as it was their own responsibility to take care of their car. If they needed dental insurance, they could pay for it out of their own pocket. But my main point is that I didn't approach benefits in an impersonal, transactional way, the way most, most companies do, but more like something I provided for my family. I was more than generous with some things and expected people to take personal responsibility for others. When I treated my employees like extended family, I found that they typically behaved the same way with each other and our community as a whole, which was much more special than having a strictly quid pro quo relationship. I can't tell you how many people would do anything in their power to help our community or company and wouldn't want to work anywhere else. This is invaluable. 
As Bridgewater grew, my ability to have quality personal contact with everyone faded. But this wasn't a problem because the broader community embraced this way of being with each other. This didn't just happen. We did a lot to help it along. For example, we put into place a policy that we would pay for half of practically any activities that people want to do together to set up up to a set cap. We now support more than 100 clubs and athletic and common interest groups. We paid for food and drink for those who hosted potluck dinners at their houses, and we bought a house that employees can use for events and celebrations. We have Christmas, Halloween, Fourth of July, and other parties that often include family members. Eventually, others who valued this kind of relationship took responsibility for it, and it spread to become a cultural norm so that I could just sit back and watch beauty happen. What about the person who doesn't give a damn about all of this meaningful relationship stuff, who just wants to get to work, do a good job, and receive fair compensation? Is that okay? Sure it is, and it's, just, it's common for a significant percentage of employees. Not everyone feels the same or is expected to feel the same about the community. It's totally okay to opt out. We have all sorts of people and respect whatever they want to do on their own time, as long as they abide by the law and are considerate. But these are not the folks who will provide the community with the skeletal strength of commitment that is essential for it to be extraordinary over very long periods of time. No matter how much one tries to create a culture of meaningful relationships, the organization is bound to have some bad and intentionally harmful people within it. Being there is not good for them or the community, so it's best to find out who they are and remove them. We have found that the higher the percentage of people who really care about the organization, the fewer the number of bad people there are, because the people who really care protect the community against them. We have also found that our radical transparency helps make it clearer which are which. 2.1. Be loyal to the common mission, and not to anyone who is not operating consistently with it. Loyalty to specific people who are not in tight sync with the mission and how to achieve it will create factionalism and undermine the well-being of the community. It is often occasion quite beautiful that personal loyalties exist. However, it is also often the case, and quite ugly, when personal loyalties come into conflict with the organization's interests. 2.2. Be crystal clear on what the deal is. To have a good relationship, you must be clear with each other about what the quid pro quo is what is generous, what is fair, and what is just plain taking advantage, and how you will be with each other. One important thing that typically divides people is how they approach their work. Are they working just for the paycheck, or are they looking for something more? Each of us has our own views about what is most important. I've made a lot of money through my work, but I see my job as much more than a way to make money. It's how I choose to live out my values around excellence, meaningful work, and meaningful relationships. If the people I worked with were primarily interested in making money, we would have conflicts whenever we had to choose between upholding our values and making an easy buck. Don't get me wrong, of course I understand that people don't work for personal satisfaction alone, and that a job must be economically viable. But we all have definite ideas about what we value and what we want our relationships to be like, and employers and employees have to be in sync on such things. Naturally, there will be disagreement and negotiation, but some things cannot be compromised, and you and your employees must know what those things are. This is especially true if you're seeking to create an environment that has shared values, a deep commitment to the mission, and high standards of behavior. 
At Bridgewater, we expect people to behave in a manner that is consistent with how people in high-quality, long-term relationships behave, that is, with a high level of mutual consideration for each other's interests and a clear understanding of who is responsible for what. On the surface, that sounds nice and straightforward, but what exactly does that mean? It is important to be clear. Take, for example, a case in which an employee's family member is diagnosed with a severe illness or an employee dies tragically, leaving his or her family in a precarious situation. These things happen far more often than any of us would like them to, and there are, of course, customs and laws that define the basic accommodations and benefits, such as personal vacation days, short and long-term disability insurance, and life insurance, which are required. But how do you determine what kinds of assistance should be provided beyond that? What are the principles for deciding how to handle each specific situation fairly, which may or may not always mean doing the same thing in each case? None of this is easy, but the following principles provide some guidance. A. Make sure people give more consideration to others than they demand for themselves. This is a requirement. Being considerate means allowing other people to mostly do what they want, so long as it is consistent with our principles, policies, and the law. It also means being willing to put others ahead of your own desires. If the people on both sides of an argument approach the disagreements in this way, we will have many fewer disputes about who is offending whom. Still, judgments will have to be made and lines will have to be drawn and set down in policies. This is the overarching guideline. It is more inconsiderate to prevent people from exercising their rights because you are offended by them than it is for them to do whatever it is that offends you. That is, it is in inconsiderate not to weigh the impact of one's actions on others, so we expect people to use sensible judgment in not doing obviously offensive things. There are some behaviors that are clearly offensive to many people, and it is appropriate to specify and prohibit them in clear policies. The list of those specifics and the policies pertaining to them arise from specific cases. Applying this principle to them is done in much the same way that case law is created. B. Make sure that people understand the difference between fairness and generosity. People sometimes mistake generosity for not being fair. For example, when Bridgewater arranged for a bus to shuttle people who live in New York to our Connecticut office, one employee asked, it seems it would be fair to also compensate those of us who spend hundreds of dollars on gas each month, particularly in light of the New York City bus. This line of thinking mistakes an act of generosity for, some, for an entitlement for everyone. Fairness and generosity are different things. If you bought two birthday gifts for two of your closest friends, and one costs more than the other, what would you say if the friend who got the cheaper gift accused you of being unfair? Probably something like, I didn't have to get you a gift, so stop complaining. At Bridgewater, we are generous with our people, and I am personally generous, but we feel no obligation to be measured and equal in our generosity. Generosity is good, and entitlement is bad, but they can be easily confused so be crystal clear on which is which. Decisions should be based on what you believe is warranted in a particular circumstance and what will be most appreciated. If you, have to, if you want to have a community of people who have both high-quality, long-term relationships and a high sense of personal responsibility, you can't allow a sense of entitlement to creep in. C. Know where the line is and be on the far side of fair. The line is what's fair, appropriate, or required, as distinct from what's generous, in light of the defined quid pro quo relationship between parties. 
As mentioned earlier, you should expect people to behave in a manner consistent with how people in high-quality, long-term relationships behave. With a high level of mutual consideration for each other's interests and a clear understanding of who is responsible for what, each should operate on the far side of fair, by which I mean giving more consideration to others than you demand for yourself. This is different from how people in most commercial relationships generally behave, as they tend to focus more on their own interests than on the interests of others or of the community as a whole. If each party says, you deserve more, or no, you deserve more, rather than I deserve more, you are more likely to have generous, good relationships. D. Pay for work. While it isn't all about the quid pro quo between the company and the employee, this balance must be economically viable for their relationships to be sustainable. Set policies that clearly define this quid pro quo, and be measured but not excessively precise when shifting it around. While you should, by and large, stick to the arrangement, you should also recognize that there are rare special times when employees will need a bit of extra time off, and there are times that the company will require employees to give it extra hours. The company should pay for above-normal work one way or another, and employees should be docked for below-normal work. The give-and-take should roughly equal out over time. Within, within reasonable boundaries, nobody should worry about the exact ebbs and flows, but if the needs of one side change on a sustained basis, the financial arrangement will need to be readjusted to establish a new, appropriate relationship. 2.3. Recognize that the size of the organization can pose a threat to meaningful relationships. When there were just a few of us, we had meaningful relationships because we knew and liked one another. When we grew beyond 50 and then 100 people, we had a community. When we grew beyond that, the sense of community began to slip because we didn't all know each other in the same way. When I realized that having groups, or departments, of around a hundred that are bound collectively by our common mission was the best way to scale the meaningful relationship. While bigger companies tend to be more impersonal, this is just another challenge that has to be figured out. 2.4. Remember that most people will pretend to operate in your interest while operating in their own. For example, most people will operate in a way that maximizes the amount of money they will get and that minimizes the amount of work that they will have to do. To see this, just leave someone unsupervised and allow them to bill you for what they have done. Be especially wary of this conflict of interest when people are advising you on matters that will affect how much money they earn, such as the lawyer who spends a lot of billable hours giving you advice, or the salesperson who advises you on what to purchase while receiving a commission on the amount that you spend. You can't imagine how many people I meet who are eager to help me. Don't be naive. Strive for the highest possible percentage of your population having meaningful work and meaningful relationships, while recognizing that there will always be some percentage of the population who won't care for the community or will do it harm. Finally, 2.5. Treasure honorable people who are capable and will treat you well even when you are not looking. These people are rare. Such relationships take time to build and can only be built if you treat such people well.